Third time's the charm. It's for you, yeah. Three is a magic number. Good day, everybody, and welcome back to Third Time's a Charm. And crikey, do we have a show for you tonight? I just realized this, but the gang is back together. The two Corey's high school slumber party, Corey Haim, uh, straight to video, video about himself. Crew is back in the house tonight. <laughs> First up, my unofficial co-host and my co-host of Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar. And tonight he will be my Twilight Werewolf consultant, Brian Rodriguez. Welcome back. I guess that's what I am. Happy to be here, Mike. Second and most importantly, not just because he's the birthday boy, but because he brought this movie to my attention and I will be forever grateful about that. Oh my gosh. Please welcome my amazing movie consultant, Austin Hey, I just realized it. It's right in your name, Austin Wolf Southern. Welcome to the show. That's why he likes it, Austin Werewolf Southern. So this is this is my specialty. How did I bring this to your attention? That makes sense, but I I don't remember specifically. It was a twofold thing. I think I saw your review on Letterboxd at one point when I was trying to put together a Halloween October marathon, and then you recommended it after an episode that we did at some point where I was trying to think of Halloween shows or something and you said oh have you seen howling three i was like no but i've seen howling one and it's incredible and it was years ago i never forgot about it and i'd always wanted to do a show about it so yeah it's one of the best part threes i would say when and how did you first see the howling three i'd watched all the howlings all seven i think whoa eight now i think there's seven did they ever get to space no they never did such a disappointment I mean, it's the moon, right? It's right there. It's like, go colonize the moon. <laughs> well, right. I mean, what happens if you put a werewolf on the moon? Like, are they just transformed the whole time? It's Howling 8. We need to know. It's always a full moon on the moon. Oh, man. That is a really good premise. I'm surprised they've never done werewolves on the moon, because it is a good premise. Someone had to have. Howling hasn't. I didn't watch them, like, in a day or anything. Like, it took a couple of years, but... I just, I love franchises and I love sequels. I think sequels are the most underrated genre. There's just so much gold in there and, and people don't realize. So I, I'm always willing to go to the end of a series and just watch all of them and hoping to discover something. And Howling really does fall off after part three. You know, four through seven are fine but not great. This is a hard act to follow. I'll just say that. Oh, for sure. But I think like that initial trilogy, like one, two, and three, I think are all kind of masterpieces in very distinct, different ways. And they're really incredible. I love this movie and I've seen it a few times now, but this one and the second one are so crazy and so unexpected, but so unique. And then I rewatched the first one like a year or so ago. Because for a long time, I was like, oh, the first one, it doesn't even compare to the sequels. But I rewatched the first one and that one's amazing too. And really like violent and 
interesting and it's an amazing trilogy yeah i had no idea there were that many this is the first time i saw this one but i've never seen part two i'm super intrigued it's on my list right now and the first howling i agree i think that is a masterpiece that movie messed me up like i was not prepared for where the story went uh, like it's this weird commune of werewolves and then like the effects are just incredible i'm a big werewolf movie fan and just in general dan and i are going through the universal movies over on monsters that made us and we just wrapped up the werewolf saga in the house of dracula but like this movie the howling stuff that i've seen is up there with my favorite type of stuff like it reminds me of things like company of wolves or bad moon and just like these weird and wild almost trippy at times uh brian rodriguez you are no stranger to werewolves at this point because you have a twilight series running at high school slumber party as well as a congruent twilight podcast in the works tell me about your history with not just this series the howling but you know werewolves in general i have no history with this series i hadn't heard of it till you mentioned it to do for this podcast i hadn't seen any film but this one in the howling series and i hardly have a history with werewolf films so <laughs> i'm no expert yes i've seen and talked about twilight we did that gary Busey one mike silver bullet silver right. bullet Where he was funkle drunken funkle i've covered and watch probably the classic werewolf films, but I am a novice with this. I am going in cold turkey. I have a feeling that, you know, I probably didn't really need to see much werewolf lore to watch this film. I think, like, I understood it without that. So I'm just kind of a spectator today. I, I kind of am more here to hear Austin's take on this film and yours, Mike. So I'll chime in when I when I can. <laughs> I don't know how you're not going to be able to, but... <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have thoughts. This definitely is its own movie. It sets itself up. It sets up its own lore. And it's, you know, we should jump right into that it's kind of a where kangaroo movie. That was the big shocker to me. Okay, so it's Howling 3, the marsupials. <laughs> that is one of the greatest titles. And like, there's a, there's a number and an extra title in this. Like, I love it. Best of both worlds. But that is terrific. And it struck a chord with me, guys. Like, this is pure Ozploitation, right? Like, this is sort of a type of exploitation film coming out of Australia made with a certain spirit. There's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek thing going on, but they're also taking themselves seriously. And I was just amazed. I think they pulled off whatever they were going for. So where should we begin? Who wants to chime in first about what they loved about this movie? How do you know we loved it? Maybe I hated it. Maybe this is the worst film I've ever seen. Brian, is this the worst film you've ever seen? And did you love it? No, it's not. I had fun with it. I did love that sort of Ozploitation aspect of it. I loved that it was in Australia. I love that it's like marsupial werewolves. The, the Tasmanian wolf aspect of it. It's cool. The last 10 minutes. Oh my, I, I don't want to jump there, but or is it five minutes? I don't know. Like it, I didn't expect that. I'm not sure. Suddenly we were in the future. And let's not go there. Austin, why don't you start? And I'll, like I said, I'll chime in when I can. I like it because it's so unusual and so original. And coming in as a threequel and kind of as a follow-up, you know, to do something so different and to come up with this concept of like marsupial werewolves or were-kangaroos, whatever they are. And just at every turn, it's so unexpected and so creative and original and also has this weird mix of like sort of cute but really gross 
there are humans with pouches in this movie. <laughs> and there's like a pretty explicit birth scene where a woman gives birth to a kangaroo baby and then it crawls into her pouch. Okay, maybe maybe I should drop a plot real quick. Because yeah, there's a couple bullet points to hit and then I think we should we can talk freely okay. about what's going on. But it starts with an American professor reviewing footage from like the early nineteen hundreds about what they think is some kind of fake not fake ritual, but they see a wolf, you know, being kind of tortured to death. This doctor gets permission by the president of the United States to go to Australia and start a campaign to try and find werewolves in Australia because they've been spotted in Russia and other parts of the world. So it's just kind of a given. He gets there, but before we start following him, we see that the main girl, Jerboa, from the werewolf clan has repeatedly tried to run away. She finds herself in the big city where she runs into an American who happens to be filming a werewolf movie, hires her to be in it. They fall in love, have a marsupial werewolf baby together run and hide in the bush a russian werewolf comes to australia to mate with the leader of the australian werewolf clan they all get captured by the government somehow they all escape a lot more goes on there is an extensive flash forward sequence that goes on for years and years and years and uh at the end of the movie it seems that werewolves and humans live in harmony or do they that sums it up yeah that's a pretty good summary i would like to start i think by mentioning how Australians view Americans because I think it's just the most amazing thing like it's definitely like how we see Australians because they think that the president has like a indoor pool at the White House <laughs> and things of that nature like I just find all that kind of stuff excellent in this opening part before we even get to the opera house and all that yeah the president character is interesting because he's very much like a Reagan Nixon amalgamation and it's like a Watergate illusion like oh we're filming it for future generations and they look at the camera it's ridiculous but yeah that president I don't know because this is an Australian director but apparently he directed the second one as well did you read this Mike that like he directed the second one he wasn't happy with it and they just basically let him do a third one his way which I find so fascinating I didn't know he wasn't happy with the second one apparently he wasn't happy with the final product and they were just like oh, all right Philip you do the third one. Do it your way, and then we'll leave it at that. Interesting, yeah. Because there's also a whole trilogy of books that the movies basically don't really follow whatsoever. So it was funny to see that this is like credited as based on the novel. And I was like, wait a second, there's a novel? <laughs> and it's not, apparently. They bought the rights to it to say that it was based on the novel, but it's not based on the novel. Like, I was reading the one thing that it has in common is empathy towards werewolves, but that's it. Well, what about what you mentioned about breaking the fourth wall and looking directly into the camera and treating it as if we're watching some form of documentary from time to time? And then even later, the fact that they're shooting a werewolf movie in the middle of this movie. That kind of meta commentary feels pretty cutting edge for this time period. Look, sure. <laughs> if you're going to leave it to me, I just can't stop thinking about this marsupial werewolf birth scene. And that's the only thing in my head right now. So, so pass. I mean, the first time they break the fourth wall, I think, is the first moment where you realize this is like not a normal movie. <laughs> They're on another level here. They're doing something weird. And then and then the birth scene is definitely when it's like, oh, this is the best movie I've ever seen. 
like this is the pinnacle no other movie has given me this or ever will like this this is great it's weird because you're right austin like up until he starts looking down the barrel of the camera it doesn't feel special until that moment you know and then at that moment you're like wait a minute now anything can happen uh i'm completely off guard and there's no way i'm going to predict what i'm about to see here and like that went for everything from story to visual effects the ending character motivation development all that kind of stuff everything is so sort of streamlined and cut down too that i was really unprepared for that as well like this movie is moves at such a breakneck speed it's so jumpy it's so rapid like it feels like it's been cut down from some kind of miniseries or something into like this 100 minutes or whatever it is but it is just very bizarre on many levels including the structure of it and like the film language of it all yeah and it it crosses genres a lot we had some confusion earlier about the length of this movie and i like i really wish this was a miniseries like i wish there were a four hour cut of this or i wish there were like 10 hours of a series (laughs) that took place in this world because there's so much that happens and so much that goes on and really like rich characters and the the thing about like jumping genres that i like so much is on this watch i was thinking like i think this is more of a romantic comedy than it is a horror movie Mm. you know there are two love stories that are really sweet and really involving and just like nice and it has like one of my favorite things which is in a lot of movies if one partner finds out something weird about another partner it's this whole ordeal that's like the crux of the movie is one partner like getting over the fact that the other person has whatever it is. I, don't, I can't think of an example. But in this movie, like the boyfriend finds out that his girlfriend has a pouch and he doesn't react at all. <laughs> He's just like, <laughs> okay, I don't care. That's I love her. <laughs> I can't wait to meet our baby. And it's just like never an issue at all. And then the the scientist, you know, it makes a little more sense because he like knows what he's getting into, but he's just like all in on this Russian ballerina werewolf who is incredible. I definitely want to highlight her performance and her face because she makes the most incredible facial expressions and the way it films her stretching her mouth and her teeth and she's making this like weird clicking noise and just like everything. I just really was in love with her expressions. I really like your take on the whole love story type stuff because you're absolutely right about that. Like instead of kind of it being the central conflict it kicks off like the rest of the movie you know it's like they're it's like a romeo and juliet at that point or something like they're both from two different worlds but i just need to talk a minute about jerboa who is played by imujin annesley i believe you pronounce it but she is the main were marsupial i'm just gonna say werewolf she's the main lycanthrope from the movie that the boy donnie falls in love with She's basically homeless in Sydney and he finds her on the street and is like, you'd be great in this movie. And they go on these dates and she keeps joking about how like, oh, that's not how werewolves really transform. I'll show you sometime and all this thing. And like, he is just ignoring red flags left and right because, you know, he's in love with how beautiful she is. But then they sleep together and, you know, he sees like she's super hairy. She's got a pouch and he's like, yeah, you know, it doesn't matter. Like, if anything, I love her more. After the sweatiest sex scene ever. It is so sweaty. 
There's so much sweat in this movie. And also I want to mention her being homeless is she escapes her family and she has a great line where she like runs away from her from her town, Flo, which is wolf spelled backwards. And she's on the bus and someone's like, oh, what happened? And she says, my stepfather tried to rape me and he's a werewolf. It's just such a good line. I like what she, I mean, I don't like the part where she's about to get accosted at night in the park, but the guys come up to her and she scares them off. They're like, we'll give you my radio if you if you want to come party with us. And she just goes, compact disc. And I, just, <laughs> I love that she had those thriller eyes and everything. And, and yeah, Austin, like her and Yara, I believe, the Russian ballerina, like they make these like clicking noises when they're transforming and it feels like bones like stretching or breaking and and i'll be damned if there isn't an homage to like a shot for shot homage to american werewolf in london in the fake movie they go to see while they're making a movie it came from uranus which begs the question are these aliens because that comes up too like what why introduce that fact that they might be aliens yeah they do mention the aliens the movie within the movie is very similar to another film by the director the beast within i mean the movies is nothing like that plot and it's not really a werewolf it's just a creature but the transformation effects are very similar to beast within which was also philip mora i think he's just referencing himself and there's also there's a beast within poster in donnie's bedroom and it's a good way to show kind of what the world of this movie considers phony effects because we're going to see like quote-unquote real world transformations of the wolves and they have to kind of lower our expectations at some point so i thought that was a very clever Mm -hmm. way of saying like it's going to be better than this but like we're going to start here and build that was really clever too did you get to read the imdb trivia mike i didn't here are the ones i found interesting that supposedly nicole kidman was considered for the part of jerboas i think she'd be a little young I think she was maybe known by this time. This might yeah, be this might have been a little late for her. Yeah. Hmm. You reminded me, Austin, because yes, the Beast Within poster is in there. Um, this was, film was not released in Australia, which I found interesting. What? You got the other one that I, I wrote down, the flow wolf backwards thing. Which predates Troll 2 and Nilbog. One of the alternate titles instead of the Marsupials was going to be A Womb with a View. I don't know if I believe that one, but it, it's hilarious. Because <laughs> that's what a pouch is. I guess so, yeah. They did mention the Ozaploitation genre. What other Ozaploitation films exist besides Crocodile Dundee? Oh, that's an Ozploitation film. I think more like Mad Max and like Dead End Drive-In and, you know, things things along that line. There's a bunch of like stunt movies. Like Brian Treacher Smith, like he's a big Ozploitation director. He also happened to direct Leprechaun 3, I believe. So <laughs> Three and four, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, there's a whole documentary about Ozploitation called Not Quite Hollywood. And they cover it and there's just a ton of stuff. I mean, it's broken up into sections. There are like a lot of sex comedies and then a lot of horror and then these like stunt action movies where these stuntmen were really almost dying doing just out of control stunts that they didn't really need to do. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great documentary. Quickly before we get to the birth sequence, um, for (laughs) lack of a better word, I want to talk about pop art for just a second because according 
According to the Hitchcock variant in this movie, this is pop art. I just thought that was a very funny kind of non-pretentious moment for the director. At that point, I was like, the movie knows what it's trying to do. Like, just sort of sit back and trust in itself. It's like its own thing. And that, um, yes, it's crazy, but it knows it's crazy. Like, it's going for this. At least that was my interpretation at that point. I think so. Yeah, I agree with that, with the director in the movie. Because this movie feels very intense. And this is a movie that I know like people think is a bad movie. And, you know, every time I watch it, it's just like this movie is so deliberate in everything that it does. Like, I just don't see how that applies in any way because it's a comedy. It's a horror comedy and it's very tongue in cheek and very aware of everything it's doing. And it's doing it really well. It accomplishes what it sets out to do so well it's so over the top and so perfect and yeah and i think putting that director character in it who that actor is so funny doing his hitchcock thing and just being like yeah this is a certain type of movie it's a sequel to a horror series and we're just being outrageous with it i also think it's just crazy that it's like it's the director's own sequel to something and that even heightens it for me like he just literally said not fuck it in a way that i don't care but he's he he said fuck it in a way like i'm gonna do what i want to do I don't think it happens enough where like someone's willing to take the gloves all the way off like this, you know, and I can only speculate and I haven't seen the film, but from what, just by watching this one, it seems like he might've restrained himself in a way or or thought of what other people might think too much. And then, and in this point, it's just like, I don't give a fuck. Like I'm going to make the movie I want to see you're with me or you're not, but if you're with me, like we're going to have a great time. And I also feel like it's one of those very rare moments where it's that kind of calculated camp that just like works so well that other movies shoot for so often and just clearly miss the mark and don't know what they're doing, you know? And then that's why so many of the best of the worst movies are sort of flukes, you know? And then I feel like these are even more rare where it's like they're going for it and they actually nail it. Yeah, and I do recommend you guys watch the second one because it is it is fantastic. And it, it's a little more serious, but it's still pretty goofy and definitely still has werewolf imagery that you have not seen before. Oh, interesting. They're not marsupials, but there's some werewolf stuff that you that definitely is not in any other werewolf movie. Well, let's get to the crazy stuff that I've never seen before that I saw for the first time in this movie that took me this long to see and I can never unsee. Jerboa finds out she's pregnant when she flees the rap party for the movie because the flashing lights are going to give her a werewolf transformation. And she, and then we don't see it, but she's hit by a car. And he just like comes around the corner and she's laying there with the brace on and the ambulance. And they take her to the hospital. And that's when they find out that she's pregnant. And they find out she has a pouch and that she's maybe some kind of alien monster hybrid thing. She has this fucking insane dream where we see the faux baby. We see like the fake baby. We see the baby. I mean, I don't want to say the baby is a monster because the baby is a monster in and of (laughs) itself. But we see like her nightmare, that her pregnancy nightmare. Yeah, it's definitely a monster version of the baby. Yeah. And then it's a while, actually, until we see the actual birth. Like, there's, like, marsupials that are dressed as nuns that are coming after her to get her back to Flowtown. And we miss, we don't see their massacre at 
the rap party, but eventually she gets back to Flow Town where she gives birth. Um, and she just sort of like wanders off into a barn by herself and is like, I'm going to give birth now. <laughs> so who wants to give the play by play? What play-by-play? Like, how do you describe this? I don't know. It was one of the most unique and jarring scenes that I've ever seen in film history. And this movie got a PG-13 rating. No. Yeah. How is that possible? Just because there's no blood? I guess marsupial nudity doesn't count. So that's the first thing is, like, we saw a bit of her hair suit body earlier in the bed but like she goes into the barn and basically like takes her dress off and you see she's got like a lot of hair she's like almost halfway transformed it feels and she's got stripes on her and everything and and she just lays down and like i don't know how else to say it, folks like the baby marsupial just kind of like crawls out of her like they look at each other she kind of like giggles at it and it's like coochie coo and it like coaxes it into her pouch and it's like gaga yay like i'm like this is amazing and then it like mm-hmm. snuggles up into the pouch and we get like this amazing kind of like close-up shot of like inside the pouch growing i don't like what is happening yeah it it ages really quickly yeah they say her metabolism is different and you know they keep citing that as why the birth would be earlier and i guess that's true of marsupials like you know they're sort of somewhat developed in the pouch there and then like the, again like you said like it ages quicker and it's just i don't know it, it's like a mix of cute and creepy but it, we're not meant to be scared by it either yeah definitely not it's adorable when it's a little bigger yeah i mean i think it's heartwarming <laughs> i mean that's definitely what they were going for with the music and the direction isn't like she's not in pain she's not horrified when the husband sees it when donnie comes he's like oh my god it's amazing i love it look at is it a boy or a girl you know Mm -hmm. in like another scene or two when she's kind of breastfeeding it or cradling it or swaddling it or whatever she's doing like it looks like a like a Jim Henson creation of some kind, you know, like some kind of, not a Muppet, but like definitely something from like Labyrinth or the Dark Crystal. Yeah. Or like the Ewok movies. It looked like a creature <laughs> that would be in that. I thought of that for some reason. But yeah, definitely like Henson Laboratories creation. It, it is just like, you gotta see it to believe it kind of movie making kind of stuff. Like, you mm-hmm. know, are talking about it is not going to do it justice but uh, but we could always come back to this you know but like i want to say uh while this is all sort of going on we also have the b story with the russian ballerina who has escaped russia and siberia with her handler (laughs) she's like doing a rehearsal and in the middle of her rehearsal there's just incredible transformation where she just goes completely wild and turns into a werewolf for what I can understand is no reason whatsoever. Yeah, I don't think, I I guess there was no like trigger that set her off, but she mentions that she like feels something coming on before the rehearsal. Right. Her handler has the vision of the leader of the Flowtown tribe. And she's like, oh yes, this is the guy I'm going to marry. And so she's like... (laughs) Yeah, so it might just be like feeling a proximity to her mate who she hasn't met yet, that kind of sets her off. Yeah, it's an amazing transformation where she's like pirouetting and starts transforming. And with every turn, she's a little more hairy. Yeah, it's very unique and (laughs) really cool. 
And then they managed to basically like abduct her because I guess they're the government. Like they kind of, they take her to their lab. They hypnotize her. Yeah. And so that's when she's like, well, she's one of the Russian ones. So she's a lycanthrope. So she's like a wolf. She's not a marsupial. She's come here to find her mate and, you know, procreate and all that kind of thing. But she escapes. She like transforms and escapes. And they just kind of cut to a shot of a dummy falling off of a building and i was like wait a minute what did she just throw that guy out the window that was amazing (laughs) and that person falls for a long time falling out this building and then a song starts playing on the soundtrack with the lyrics all fall down which is incredible that the soundtrack is like making fun of this person who is plummeting to their death like what a needle drop it's amazing. So it seems like Shout Factory had has a DVD edition in 2013. And that's a shame to me because like 2013 was so long ago. I want this to be re-re-released. Let's find the deleted scenes. Let's really get interviews with the cast and the director. Let's bring this to prominence now. Re-prominence. And I want to know more. I want to sit down with this director and, and just ask him questions. I hope he was happy with this one. You know, I hope he was happier than he was with the second one, even though, Austin, you said you liked the second one. I hope that he was able to finally execute his vision with all this. I think he must have come around on the second one, too, once people started to like it. That makes sense. I'm pretty sure he's involved in the special features of the second one's Blu-ray. I hope he's come around on it. What I thought was really interesting about this movie is like, you know, I was like, okay, I thought I knew everything it was going to try to do. And like, I should have known better. Like, you should just never, you know, it's just, it just reminded me of how small I was. This movie actually gets to sort of like a central issue or like a thesis or point, if you will, that I was definitely not expecting it to have, how big or small it it might be. Um, But this is about conservation and animal conservation and extinction. And these marsupial werewolves are based on the Tasmanian wolves that have gone extinct, the thylacine. So like there's a moment in this movie where they go off for like five or six or seven minutes in a boardroom and show the last surviving footage of this creature, of this animal, and talk about its <laughs> removal from the ecosystem and everything. And I'm like, holy shit, like he's actually getting political about this and like had a point to make. That was probably the most shocking thing of all to me about this movie. And I loved it so much. Um, I don't know if anyone else saw that coming or had any kind of like deep thoughts or feelings as I did, but <laughs> I liked it because like the connection to the Tasmanian wolf was super cool because like I like how they mentioned that it's like one of the only predator marsupials, right? Like when we think of marsupials, we think of like kangaroos and wallabies and cute little animals like that, right? I know kangaroos can box you, but whatever. Like, you don't think of, like, a hunter like that. The recurring thing, like, had those animals had stripes and these animals, the werewolf, like, or the were, Tasmanian wolf, whatever, um, like, you see it with stripes. I like how they mentioned how, like, basically they were hunted down by the governments of the world because they sort of knew what was going on here. But some of them transformed. Like, it's like a cool um, little legend here. And I don't know. I am not an Aboriginal Australian nor do I know any Aboriginal Australians, so I can't speak for them, whether this movie is offensive to them or not. But the connection there, at least from a non-Aboriginal Australian point of view, seemed cool. Well, yeah, I mean, it seemed almost like an homage to these animals who went extinct. Yeah. 
And according to the movie, who were kind of like hunted into extinction, like humans killed them. And this seemed very sympathetic, like to the Tasmanian tiger or wolf or whatever it was, and being like the spirit of this animal lives on and kind of, you know, through these people. And that that's the fantasy part that I think it's very sympathetic. And, you know, I think kind of paying tribute to this creature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Brian, I think it's way more tasteful than Crocodile Dundee ever oh, was, you oh, know? Oh, for sure. <laughs> I'm just impressed that he was able to, like Austin was saying earlier, like with all the tonal shifts, like he was able to make that shift at one point and have like this moment or speech about we're killing the animals, we're destroying the earth and all that kind of stuff. So <laughs> before we get to the ending, is there... Any other crazy moments that we want to bring up? Because this is definitely, after the birth sequence, like the craziest shit I've ever seen in a movie recently. Like, it's going to be so hard. I feel so bad for whatever I watch next. You know, no matter who directed it or what movie it is, it, it could be the best movie. It could be, you know, Citizen Kane. And I'll be like, nice try, Citizen Kane. Like, I just watched Howling 3. Like, you're going to need to show me something more than this. I mean, that's what I'm probably going to say, theoretically, if my wife ever gets pregnant and I'm in the delivery room, I'm going to say, I'm gonna see, I need to see more than this. I've seen The Howling 3. This is not what I expected here. Yeah, I mean, it's the most, you know, I called it like heartwarming earlier. Like, this is the most touched I will ever be watching a childbirth scene. Because I don't give a fuck about babies being born. <laughs> and that's never going to be emotional in the movies for me so this is like the only way to get me <laughs> and to make me like almost teary is this is the miracle of life <laughs> in the only way that i can understand i love that statement like i don't have any kids i don't expect to ever have yeah. kids but i have like nieces and nephews and all that kind of stuff and like they're adorable and you know I've, and everything but like yeah like this is um this is just something you don't see every day like this is just super unique and you know what austin you're right like at first watch Watching it, I was horrified because it's so different and it catches you off guard. But after a while, I really warmed up to the design of the baby. I really appreciated that it was just kind of like this. They had like a Pokemon or something, you know, like that's kind of what it it was like adorable. It had the big anime eyes. It had like a cutesy face. It it almost even looked like stuff you would see in later Godzilla movies when there would be like baby monsters Mm. and things of that nature. But like I, I was really kind of warming up to the little guy. Yeah. And then the extended epilogue and the ending, which is so tender and soothing. Yeah, I don't know if we're ready to like get into the ending. Yeah, this must be an Australian thing, right? Because like Peter Jackson did this too. But Peter Jackson, eat your heart out because this is how it's it's really done and with this extended epilogue here. When did he do in the like Lord of the Rings? I was thinking like in like Lord of the Rings, like everyone sort of, you know, remarked that he had multiple endings or like an extended epilogue. And um, this takes the king. I only know his early work. So we alluded to this moment very early in the show. This movie ends with basically like 
I don't want to say a time jump because we see throughout the years, we see basically what happens to our characters over the course of like 20 years or so, maybe 15, definitely that. And it's very sort of gradual and peaceful. And it's like Jerboa and Donnie are together and have a child. And then the professor and Yara, the Russian ballerina, get together and they have a child. And then they live together for a little while. But then the two couples, they split apart and they go and raise their children and they have their own lives. And like the years go on and the years go on. We get this announcement that the Pope has declared werewolves are not evil. They are people just like us and we should give them a chance. And so years go by and werewolves and all types of lycanthrope are integrated into our society. The professor goes back to school to teach. And I think he's teaching a class of aliens from the movie V because they're all wearing yeah. jumpsuits. But I guess it's, I guess that's just the future. Yeah, I, I think that was just supposed to be futuristic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they nailed it. We find out that one of the professor's students is the fucking baby all grown up. I love it. Yeah. He just like comes up to him and he's like, hey, I'm the baby. And he's like, what? He's like, yup. And he's like, you are? And he's like, yeah, I'm all grown up. And they like hug. And he's like, whatever happened to your parents? And he's like, you'll find out tonight. His parents became big time Hollywood directors and actors. And that Jerboa is going to receive the Academy Award. Wait, no, it's not the Academy Awards. Hold on, because this is one of my favorite parts of the entire movie. The professor and Yara are sitting at home in their impeccably white living room, watching television, and it's the 82nd Annual Academy of Laser Arts and Sciences Awards. Right. <laughs> hosted by none other than Barry Humphreys himself, Dame Edna. <laughs> yeah, weird cameo. That character was just huge in Australia. And then Jerboa comes out to accept the Best Actress Award, but everyone is flashing lights and taking her picture, which they usually don't do, you know, at the Oscars anyway. I don't know about the laser and science awards. <laughs> and she transforms on television in front of everybody. Right. Yeah, that is unusual that it doesn't happen on the red carpet, but when she's getting the award, that everyone starts taking pictures. But the ending, I think, is calling back to the original howling because that one ends with someone transforming on television oh okay okay but my big question at the end here is if we are living in harmony with werewolves and such like this wouldn't be such a big deal then why would right? it matter like, yeah. There would... <laughs> yeah i mean i guess it was just because she had already changed her identity and maybe this was like oh this is jerboa not whatever her actress name was which was a little ridiculous anyway because she you know she doesn't age a no, day no <laughs> in the, like 20 years which i guess is just her marsupial dna they say they change their appearances donnie grows a mustache but she just changes her name it's not like anyone who knew her would recognize her which i guess is not that many people she only knows a few people but these government agents who are presumably looking for her if they saw her in a movie they'd be like oh that's Jerboa, who we've been looking for. Yeah, because what's his name? The dude, the professor, like, instantly recognizes her name when it said, like, that's her? It's like, yeah, you knew her for a while, dude. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he knows her, like, as a celebrity, and he's like, oh, I never put it together that they look exactly <laughs> the same. <laughs> I, I love it, though. I love, again, the future world they build. I love <laughs> how it just it feels 
not like a different movie, just like looks wise, right? Because I did not expect to be here, I guess is my point, right? I did not expect a future. And like, yes, the ending is like, oh my God, she's transforming into a werewolf. But most of this like coda here is not scary at all. Or it's not even like particularly jarring. It's just like warm, you know? Like, oh, I get to reunite. Like yeah. they made yeah, it too. That's yeah. great. We're both successful in the same city. Right. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, they have this shocker ending that I think is just like calling back to the original. But yeah, it's at least 10 minutes of this like epilogue that is a sequence that does not exist in any other horror film that is just so warm and touching. And like, and when he does reconnect with the baby and like they embrace, like it's really sweet. It's really kind of emotional. Yeah, it's so unique. It really is. Nowadays, we get, you know, a really, I guess since like American Graffiti, you'll get maybe like a little title card saying what happened to that character in the future. But I was always like, oh, man, I always want to see like just a little glimpse, a little more about their future, like end the movie, you know, five, 10 years later on a on a shot of what happened to those people. So I always loved it and relished that this kept going on and on <laughs> because it was almost like getting a mini sequel to what we just watched like this is what he might have wanted to do if they like do part four but he might have been you know kind of just too winded to go and do three of these in a row but it's like oh yeah i have i have plans for this world like i've built it all out in my head you know like they even talk in the movie about tribes all over the world there's chinese werewolves and there's spanish werewolves in spain and there's werewolves in south america and all over the place and so he's like yeah i've definitely got an idea of where this is going and so I'm happy for him to be able to say like, you know, or to to be able to show the future of the world that he created in this movie. Yeah, I mean, he, he pulled something off for sure. Well said. We get an extra shot of the president, I have to say. And I only love it because he's got like a workout room in the in the White House as well. And we to believe that maybe he's at Camp David, but an indoor pool and an indoor gym for the president. I don't know. Other than that, do, do you guys have any final thoughts about uh, Howling 3? We're not going to play the Too Fast Letterbox game, but I will tell you that there is only one person on Letterbox who gave it five stars and has it in their favorite films. The other four in there are The Howling, so the first one. A film called The Descent. Have either of you seen that one? Yeah. Yeah. And then Terror of Mechagodzilla is their other film in there. Okay. That's a good one. So just shout out to Casey Gay on Letterboxd for for having an interesting top four there with The Howling 3. And his top four, that makes me like ashamed that I'm maybe not the biggest Howling 3 fan. <laughs> <laughs> I think you need to hit up Casey Gay, and we need to all. <laughs> I, I maybe yeah. Yeah, just just hang have out. A watch party. Yeah, have a watch party. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing, quickly, uh, Austin, I looked up why the director did not like Howling Two, and again, I haven't seen it, so maybe you can test to it. And it's just the reason was uh, apparently in post production they added a lot of breasts to the film, and he wasn't too keen on, and that really bothered him for years. That conflicts with other stories about the film. Because Sybil Danning, whose breasts are exposed multiple times in the film, and specifically in the conclusion of the film, and I, I don't think this is like a spoiler necessarily, but like the credits basically play over like a music video for a song. And during the music video, there's like a cut of her ripping her top off that repeats endlessly. And it's like cut to the beat. You know, and she was really upset about that. The actress, Sybil Danning, who's an amazing actress, 
a great genre performer. But she was upset about that. You know, she knew she was doing nudity in the movie, but she didn't know this shot was going to be in it a hundred times. And my impression was always that the director is the person who did that. (laughs) Um, Ah. But maybe it was like a producer who went over both of their heads. Apparently, again, this is the internet, but apparently that's what it was. Like he turned it in, someone else edited it. Uh, They're still friends. and I think they do commentary together or something. That's what it says. Okay. They both were like horrified when they saw the final cut. And he was very upset by that. And I got to see this now. I mean, it's still like a shitty story overall, but that does make me feel a lot better about this director and that it wasn't him that like betrayed Sybil Danning, essentially. That's good to hear. Wild. I feel like I'd be remiss if I just didn't do one special shout out to Max Fairchild, who plays Thilo, the Australian leader of the pack. He has one sequence where he's under hypnosis, where he just gives it his all 100% amazing performance in that sequence. Absolutely. Uh, So that is the last thing I needed to sneak in here. But uh, before we say goodnight and do the plugs and everything else, Brian and Austin, like any final words about the Howling 3? Yeah, I'm surprised like we're done already in in a way. There's so much in this movie. I do feel like this is a movie you could do like a minute by minute podcast for. There's so much. And I know there's a lot that we're not addressing and there's just so many moments and big performances that are so funny and yeah the three like non marsupial characters that are just in the movie and (laughs) they don't really need to be but they add so much flavor yeah I think there's a lot to cover but I I think we've done a a good primer (laughs) why it needs to be seen and why you should appreciate it for the right reasons yeah, we, we've given you sort of like the sampler platter tonight about the Howling 3 marsupials, but you really need to eat the whole meal for yourself one day. And maybe we can make this some kind of tradition. Who knows what will happen next year where we just every October start talking Howling 3 to marsupials and add another guest to the circle. <laughs> yeah, and I do think like it's a movie that, you know, we talked about the ending. We talked about the, the birth scene, of course. Like, I don't think this movie can be spoiled. If you listen to this whole podcast and you haven't seen the film, like it will still be a rewarding experience <laughs> as it is for me because I've, you know, I've seen it several times and every time it still kind of takes me aback and impresses me. Yeah, it is so loaded. I've probably just like registered half of it, you know, like I've, I've watched it all, but like my brain and my mind is like, buddy, like it's going to take two or three more viewings for this to really sink in. You've got the gist of it, but now you really have to kind of like study this this movie or something. <laughs> Brian, any final words? I mean, I think I, I got everything out, but yeah, I like your idea of uh, making this an annual tradition because... I think the more times I watch this movie, the more I'm going to absorb, just like you said, Mike. It's my first watch of anything really in this world. So I don't want to say surface level is not an insult, but like, you know, I I could only absorb so much in the first viewing. So I can't wait to watch it again. I've always loved having you on, Brian, because I would expose you to horror movies. You know, I would jokingly call you like my my horror consultant because you weren't into horror films and stuff. So I feel uh, slightly proud and responsible for opening the door into this world for you when it comes to uh, genre film and and all this kind of stuff because uh, yeah it just needs to be seen I'm still I'm still viewing on more of a curious level I'm by no means an expert or someone who necessarily seeks this content out but when I see something unique 
I'm not going to deny that. You know what I mean? I'm going to give it all the props and love. This was a very unique film. Uh, last thing to do. Let's do some shameless plugs. Anybody got thing going on out there? Alston Wolf Southern, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, the Truth About Cats and Brats on Patreon. Where I post video reviews and movie ramblings and recommend movies like this. Sign up, start at $2 a month. Very reasonable. Updated. You know, not as regularly as I initially promised, but... I'm putting stuff in there. Excellent. Brian Rodriguez, where can folks find you online? You can find me on this show if you're a listener. Uh, clearly you are. You could find me on High School Slumber Party, that podcast. That uh, Mike, you're there too. And Austin, you're there for a lot of fun times as well. Of course, you, you and me, Mike, we have our Coppola show, which is Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar. Right now, we've just covered The Offer and The Godfather, but we'll have something, something in store for the spooky month of October, Halloween month as well and of course i am on social media on twitter at oh my rodriguez o-h-m-y rodriguez with a z and high school slumber party as well if, if there's a high school slumber party account i am running it so you can hit me up there too and yeah i mean that's where you can find me sounds good to me so that's gonna do it for this episode of third times a charm thank you both so much for joining me this has been a lot of fun, and until next time, goodbye, mites. Three, that's the magic number. Yes, it is. It's the magic number. Three, they stubbing me, and that's the magic number. What does it all mean?